Welcome to the Memory Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Verneri. And I'm John Deck. And each week we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies. That's right. And this week... It's a little childish and stupid, but then so is high school. That's right. We're watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986, directed by John Hughes. Uh, Probably less than 10 years since I've seen this. Uh, I, I watch it on a relatively frequent basis, maybe uh, maybe six or seven years since I've seen it. How about you, John? I have no clue. I don't know. Um, a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, I think. This I mean, isn't is... this isn't this like required watching for every Chicagoan? Like, well, no. I mean, I'm familiar with just about everything in the movie, of course. And it was more of a growing up high school, college movie, rewatching it a million times, and and since then, it's kind of lost just a bit of its shine in terms of constant rewatchability. Not that it's necessarily bad. It just kind of fell off the radar and, you know, I don't know how long it's been. But yeah, quite a while. I'd say at least 10 years. Well, that's fair. Uh, Was there anything going into this that you were looking forward to seeing or anything that you uh, maybe had had forgotten about prior to this viewing? Well, no, it's interesting. I have... I had some different reactions and, and took it in a slightly different way, which we can get into. But like, as far as before watching, it was just more of a, a just blank slate wide open. I mean, I have pretty fo- positive feelings, you know, about it historically. And, you know, growing up, um, it, it was my best friend's favorite movie, you know, by a lot. And so when you, you know, when you have like a, uh, a close friend who has any movie that's like their obvious stated favorite movie, you end up either watching it a lot or quoting it a lot. So it just, you know, it, it kind of has that that kind of warm place in your heart from that nostalgic point of view that we're we're always looking at. But just personally, um, I always thought it was like fun, but nothing like amazing. Like a lot of people I knew thought it was, and still do think it's one of the best or funniest movies ever made. And I, I was never quite sold on that, on that level. Um, but yeah, so I didn't have any exacting specifics as I went into it. How about you? You know, I, I'm, I'm glad you bring up the like funniest movie ever kind of thing because it's one of those films that especially, you know, for, for the Gen Xers or even the, the early sort of Gen Y millennial types, like this was a one of the defining films of our you know, childhood and adolescence was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and it was like something everyone aspired to, and uh, or, or or at least held in some kind of super high regard. And I've always kind of held on to that, even into adulthood. Like, oh, this is a you know a very fun and and uh, sort of life. I wouldn't say life affirming or life defining moment or, or movie, but it, it's definitely one that had an impact on me from an early age. And so I think going into this viewing, I, I, I I strayed away from the blank slate kind of thing and just kind of went into it in sort of full nostalgia mode. Like, Oh, I'm going to really have a great time watching this. And that's not to say that I didn't because I, I did thoroughly enjoy it this go around, but there were some things that, even even with the sort of critical eye that I've developed over these last 99 episodes, uh, there, there were there were things in it that I damn it, I lost my train of thought. Hmm. Anyway, that's not uh, that's not happened before this episode. No, this is the first time, first time I've lost my train of thought uh, ever. On the memory distillery, well, definitely not a frequent occurrence. Speaking of uh, losing trains of thought, let's just skip over whatever you were leading up to. And get yes, because right nothing I was saying made any sense. No, so. and none of it mattered. No one cared. But I think what everyone wants to know, um, what's on everybody's chap lips, is uh, has Anthony Verneri had a day off? 
meaning not like in the sense of modern times, but back in the day in high school, did you ever skip a day of school to do something crazy and fun or multiple what? days? Never. I know your I know your mom listens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never skipped school and got Did you ever have house. a best friend named Schmanthony Bernary <laughs> who <laughs> ever had such uh, adventure? I did. I uh, I was a frequent skipper of school. Actually, I was a shitty, shitty student, especially my senior year of high school. Uh, and and anyone listening who knows me will attest to that. But it it was it, it's funny you say a day off because like there were frequent occurrences where I just you know I didn't feel like going to school and so I didn't go. There were much fewer occurrences where I made a day of it. And it was usually amidst friends. Uh, it was always like, you know, we'd all show up at school and be like, eh, I'm not feeling it today. And we'd leave. And on certain kind of rare occasions or, or uh, special occasions even, like if there was some, you know, cool event happening or if there was like a, a an announced like skeet senior skip day, we would make a day. We'd all go to the beach, and we'd you know get sandwiches at our favorite sandwich shop or whatever, and it would just have a have a day of it. Yeah, I, I, let's see, I think I actually quote unquote skipped school or skipped out on school maybe once or twice. Um, I I think of all the things that could be described to me and that could you know try to pinpoint my identity and who and what I was and have become I don't think bad boy really fits the bill for me um <laughs> I was maybe a bit more boring I did however I believe perfect you know my personal art of being quote-unquote sick for the day um not leading to frolicking time travel trips around Chicago although I could have I suppose <laughs> But it was just more, I just can't deal with going to school. I just can't, I can't deal with it, whether it's because of other people or school itself or whatever it might be. And so, like, I'm pretty confident my mom doesn't listen to this, but it doesn't matter because she, you know, it's <laughs> it's at the point where it doesn't really matter. But I, I'd like to think she probably thinks that, you know, any of these times that I was sick or whatever, it was like, just oh legit he's got a he, he gets sick all the time and stuff but like i i got like i'm trying to remember now i remember i got sick once my freshman year of college when it came home from christmas and like other than that like i really have a hard time remembering any time i was legit sick growing up um and so like uh, like almost to you know an unbreakable movie level kind of like questioning like what <laughs> what nothing ever happens to this kid and the fact that all the shenanigans my older brother and I got into in terms of wrestling around and throwing each other through walls and falling downstairs and doing all the stuff that we did I never broke a bone I was never seriously injured and I should have been a hundred times over I wasn't exactly the most graceful kid either I tripped over my giant shoes or my giant feet which happened to be inside <laughs> giant shoes a lot like all these things happen so no like I I did miss a decent amount of school uh, but it was almost always because I just couldn't handle the idea of going and couldn't wait to be out of there so i would try to space things out and i'd always think you know what can i do that'll make it feasible that i should miss two days of school but anymore <laughs> it was kind of like ferris with the fake fever thing and the danger Scare of going to mom, doctors yeah. yeah so it's like i always thought you know if i'm sick enough to inspire the idea of it being okay that i don't go to school i can certainly milk that to be like to, to again pull up and, and this wasn't inspired by ferris this was probably before i'd seen ferris that that idea of you know playing the cute little kid who's like no but i i want to go to school and and kind of make you know my my mom be the one who says no like no you have to take care of yourself and you you can't push yourself you you should probably just be safe and do you know one more day and just I'm like okay <laughs> you know and that sort of thing so so yes yeah, so I, I didn't never really had much of a 
you know, go out and have a party and do crazy, insane things. But I, I certainly went through the experience of well, missing a fair share of school. To be fair, most of my skip days were like, oh, let's go and uh, who's, whose house is empty today? Okay, we're going to go over there and fucking play Dreamcast and N64. Like, it wasn't something where we, you know, threw some Project X-esque party or anything like that. Like, we, it's certainly not like joining a parade or going to a baseball game or anything like that. Like, we just kind of laid low and had a mental health day and, you know, forgot about school for a day. And Now, I have gone to Wrigley Field, though, quite a few times and been out there almost in the exact same location, you know, where they're out there off the side of left field. And um, I've come close to catching a couple of foul balls, you know, like I've had a little bit of that mirrored experience there, which uh, again, is something we can get into with their whole, the whole sci-fi part of Ferris Bueller's day off, uh, which is the way (laughs) in which they string out time and do a million things include like if, if, if they're proposing that they were there for the entire Cubs game, that means that they were there from about one o'clock to about four thirty, and then you're hitting, you know, rush hour traffic and like you know all all the all the things that would pin them down for many hours of of day when really <laughs> at maximum we're looking at a ten hour window of time that this movie theoretically took place in, and and they did about like 18 hours worth of stuff. Oh yes. Like there, there is definitely a, a very significant suspension of disbelief happening here. Like, yeah, there's no way they did all of these things in one day. Like uh, I actually read a while ago. I remember reading someone tried to put together an optimistic timeline uh, of what it would be like if they tried to do every single thing in the movie, but for the least amount of time possible, like if they just dipped in, you know, for the Cubs game for a little while. And if they were just, at the you know the art you know art museum there for you know five ten minutes if the, you know if they all these things and it was still like even with these all these super un unlikely things it's like it's still almost impossible to pull off yeah yeah wholeheartedly agree plus you gotta like get Sloan out of school so that's you're, you're talking an hour there. It's yeah. It, it, there's there's so many. Well, there's like two we, timelines. We can... I mean, there's. I mean, we're getting into now because there's no avoiding it. Okay. There's like the timeline. I feel up until they go to lunch, because all that's like preamble. Like we know that they have that they steal essentially this twelve o'clock appointment. You know, at lunch or a reservation. I mean, so it's like everything else in the day has to happen between what seven or eight in the morning and noon, and that's okay. Yeah, I can see that kind of. Um, because it's, you know, waiting for Cameron, doing phone calls, setting up the, the room, getting slown out. A lot of that. It's like, yeah, it's it could be a stretch, but sure, it can happen, whatever. The, the actual amount of time it takes to have a phone call with Rooney, the amount of time it takes to get them to come outside and to go pick them up. Sure, fine. They have a, a nice buffer there. But then everything else that happens from lunch and 6 p.m., like, it's just like, oh, my God, like, it's completely overwhelming (laughs) um but again the whole point is to have fun and not like do a biography of uh biography is that the right word i don't know documentary um yeah they're they're not trying to you know lay out ferris bueller's day in a way that's going to hold up to some sort of rigorous examination so i can i can let that go except that it was just this time i just couldn't help but be mildly overwhelmed again remembering just from personal experience what it's like because even if they were they were started off in you know suburbs even if they're in the suburbs closest to chicago it's still going to be a minimum of you know half hour drive uh to get into downtown and so like and then just getting around the city and all all these different things it was like wow like there's some cool things and it kind of brought some nostalgia because i haven't been really back to chicago proper and hung out downtown and quite a long time um probably longer than since i've seen this movie so you know it was kind of cool and kind of fun and i miss certain aspects about you know hanging out downtown and and things like that but but yeah it it, it's it's just fiction it's like this movie is just fiction anthony do you understand is it though i mean it's fiction this, this wasn't based on true events or well some of the things were true 
like the Cubs game. Cubs exist. Okay, Cubs. Chicago. The Cubs yeah. do exist. That's it. Oh, that's so it. So Chicago itself doesn't exist, but the Cubs look do? up. Look up a so-called Sears Tower. <laughs> There's no Sears Tower. See, like where I used to get my pants. No, not that kind of Sears Tower. Um, that's disgusting, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the worst pickup lines ever. Um, <laughs> hey, excuse me, where's the pants department? Well, yeah, I was thinking more like, do you want to see my Sears Tower? Gross. You're the one who said it. John, I did not. This is a family show. We're doing Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I can't believe you were all inappropriate. You're making blue jokes here, John. What are you interested I, I, in? I won't have it. I, what I'm interested in... You're supposed to say nothing. Nothing. <laughs> well, all, all I can say is you can never go too far. So, hey. <laughs> uh yeah, life happens pretty fast. And other quotes from this movie. Uh, Cameron's facial expressions in this movie are a character unto themselves. Are they not? No, that is that is pretty true, pretty accurate. Like it, like there's there's so many moments. I, I I have issue with this being Ferris Bueller's movie because I really feel like it's more of Cameron's movie, but. Uh, there are so many great Cameron moments in this movie. I can't even nail one down. Uh, he he does so many cool facial expressions, like when they're at the stock exchange and he's doing the the hand movements and making the faces yeah. and all that other stuff. I just I was it, I was having such a good time with that. I definitely feel if if there is an underrated performance, it would be Cameron's uh, in this. And I I personally my vote is for when Sloan asks if if he saw her changing <laughs> and that slow <laughs> grin creeping into his face. And like, that was, that was pretty great. And I mean, speaking of facial expressions, um, Matthew Broderick in this is just the epitome of, you know, that cute little, like when he's, you know, talking to his parents in bed, lovable and a, scamp. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's, it's humorous to me. And then I realized that, <laughs> then he, uses the exact same computer hack that he used in war games that we just watched <laughs> because he got a computer instead of a car. And I'm just like, that's right. This. And like, what did this come out? Like a year after war games, two years. Uh, I'll find out whatever. I can't remember right now, but it was just, it was within just a couple of years at the very most two years, I think. But like, man, that was amusing. Uh, to me. Oh no, it was three. Oh, that was actually longer than I thought it would be. Uh, yeah, 1983 for War Games, 86 for Ferris Bueller. Well, that's true because uh, by 86, they didn't feel a need to explain, you know, with a 12-minute scene of how he hooked up to a dial-up modem and got access to his <laughs> high school. Um, not that computer access was popular at that point and certainly not internet access, but it was still kind of, and this is all just played for comedy, where, of course, in War Games it was played up for more of a we're establishing his cred as a you know tech genius or whatever um but the bottom line is he was still able to just very easily hack into his school which had an online access for changing days off and or grades or whatever which i don't know about you in the 80s but i don't think my my school probably barely had a working phone line to receive calls uh, about you know kids being out of school let alone an entire online system that could be accessed remotely, uh, all pretty, pretty out there. No, yeah, absolutely not. Why? Even in you know nineteen ninety, when did I graduate? Two thousand. So up to two thousand, my school didn't have anything like that. Like my, I, I want to say my grades were mailed home. Yeah. Uh, like written in, or at least maybe into middle school they were. Like th there was there was no. <laughs> there were no like phone calls home if I uh, if I wasn't in school. There was no app that my parents could access to, uh, to to find out what my grades were like. Like they had to just sort of take me at my word. Yeah, and uh, just much wait. much to their chagrin because uh, I would always lie about it. Sorry, ma. Uh, well, and say, we, oh yeah, yeah, I don't have any homework. No, I'm good. Yeah, we, we'd get we'd get. They were called progress reports. Um, but they really were only things sent in the mail if you were doing especially bad. Yeah. Um, 
So it wasn't just overall progress reporting on you. So it was only a periodic thing if you were doing bad, not something uh, a parent could look forward to knowing it's going to come once a month or once a quarter or semester or whatever. And the thing is, is that our mailbox was located right over the top of a sewer grate thing. Uh, And I'm not saying I did this because I was perfect, but I probably had siblings who would like go run out to check the mail see something from school and just drop it straight into the sewer grate and go back inside with the mail. Um, (laughs) And then there'd be this whole, you get the report cards and it's like, you got a D minus in, in PE. How is that possible? Why didn't we get a progress report? I don't know. They must've forgotten. And it's like, you can't argue because it's like, well, to get lost in the mail. Who knows? It's all very unpredictable. What are you going to do? Email my teacher? Yeah, exactly. What do you, what what the fuck is email? Exactly. (laughs) That that already happened. That was oh, you didn't know about that. Whoops! I guess we were supposed to tell you. <laughs> you know, you you talked about the the sort of uh, boyish, babyish way that uh, uh, Ferris talks with his parents. And... Gritterkin, yes, sir. That's me. Time to get on the Gritterkin train. Toot toot, toot, toot. grits. <laughs> yeah, so I actually have a gritterkin today. Oh, toot toot uh, grits. Which is this specific topic, Ferris being sort of babyish when he, you know, his parents are fawning over him and, oh, are you okay? Oh, you know, are you sick? I feel his hands are all clammy. And he's doing the, oh, <laughs> like, I would have a thousand, if, if I'm Ferris Bueller's parents, I'm a thousand percent seeing through this. Uh, there's, there's no way that that, him playing that up is getting by me and it it was very annoying to me to see it happen because i'm like these parents are actually buying this there's no way that's a huge yes exactly uh but no there's there's just there's this huge suspension of belief that's happening uh that's far beyond uh what i would consider to be realistic well i don't know because and, and yes, it's played up to be all cute, and there's a lot of elements that are, like you said, that tug on our suspension and disbelief rather hard. But the the idea that you'd have this modified latchkey kid syndrome thing with both parents working and, oh, we got early morning meetings, there's a lot going on, but they're also worried about their kids. Like, the, the concept that someone could be, parents could be a, a bit gullible, even if they're smart and successful and, and stuff like that, like... That in and of itself, I don't find it hard to believe. I, I think that sometimes some parents do seem to have, you know, a, a weakness for being gullible, maybe towards more towards one of their children rather than others. Some some they might be naturally more suspicious of, or maybe it's because <laughs> Ferris has never been caught before by them that they don't think he's ever done anything wrong. So he's like skirts under. So to me, it didn't really irk my grits uh, so much, but it did kind of set and, and path this whole idea for the movie that, you know, I, I think is important for us to realize that that Ferris Bueller is basically a burgeoning sociopath. Oh, 100%. And like... You'll you'll get no argument from me. Yeah. So, so I think it's more fun to think of this being Cameron's movie because then it's easier to kind of enjoy that aspect of character development and wonder what's happening and and things like that uh but that that concept like that i ever so slyly quoted earlier about there there being uh no limits or that that you know to to say you can never go too far yeah a you can never go far too far and b if i ever did get caught it's not gonna be like from a guy like that or, or you know whatever said but like the the idea that you can never go too far, the idea that Ferris is very used to, you know, basically, you know, deceiving people. I mean, that's that's what he does the whole movie. He's a pathological liar for fun, you know, just because even yeah. when, even when it's not even necessary, it's just is and he wants to do it. Um, just that disregard for for safety or for other people. Um the whole idea of being uh, aggressive if you don't get your way, the way he basically is ready to attack Cameron. And even in the way Cameron reacts and stuff and how he apologizes, it's like you really, they sell the fact that this is a reoccurring thing, you know, kind of like if, if someone, you know, beats their girlfriend and then apologizes for it, that kind of traumatic, like 
like no, Gas- no gaslighting almost yeah hey, hey hey baby it's cool no i'm sorry man you know you're the best don't worry about it and then wink at the camera you know like in playing it all off as this cute thing but no he's just and he's so charming you know like that 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 defining characteristic of like someone who's like a narcissistic sociopath someone who is able to convince and and just smooth their way through anything because they just have the the intellect and the charm and the ability to do these things so it's like it was almost distracting you know this this back and forth between can i appreciate the fun and the cuteness or am i am i gonna actually think about you know the possible disorder of this person who may be destroying lives of people around him while impulsively asking people to get married and getting upset if they say no even though he wasn't really going to do it anyway you know like all, all all of these elements are like they're played just to the, the the left of seriousness just to stay in that pocket of it being a comedy but it's like you could just push just a little bit harder and this becomes a very disturbing movie <laughs> well but th- this also we see this later, not in this film specifically, but we see it in other media. Like, look at Saved by the Bell. Mm-hmm. Look at Zach Morris. Zach Morris is this personified and then amped up. Like, he he has to get his way, and if he doesn't, he he complains. He's manipulative, and he, you know, yeah. is, is borderline abusive. And in some cases... <laughs> blatantly abusive. Yeah, I was going to say not borderline. Uh, you know, d- depending on on the situation and what he can get away with. So, uh we we do like I said see this in lots of media uh later on after this happens. Yeah, it's sad, I think uh or everybody uh anyone who claims to love this movie is just uh, wrong. They're bad people. They just want to see the world burn. <laughs> Um, but no, getting back to uh, you know the elements of the movie that that were good or were fun, like that don't irk my grits. Yeah, the non grit irking. Um, I for, I do enjoy the irony of Charlie Sheen's performance. Our, our second <laughs> our second Charlie Sheen movie in a row. Foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> like I do, I think it's it's funny to see the different actors who turn up, you know, in succession in different movies that we watch. Um, Cause we've not really watched any movie with Charlie Sheen in a more starring role. Have we? Uh, I can't think I don't, of any. I don't, I don't, uh, well, war games or not Charlie war games, uh, red dawn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I forgot about that. That kind of blended in the background. Cause he just seems so not himself yet. in that movie. <laughs> um, and, and last week's, you know, being John Malkovich. Right. So anyway, I, I think that's amusing, and the idea that the character who mellows out Genie is essentially a slightly older version of Ferris, you know, like oh, right the same. Like I could see, you know, if Ferris, you know, just leans a little bit to the side, gets a little bit into drugs, as Charlie Sheen said, that like he could just turn into that kind of guy who's gonna just neg on you and you know, like basically get you to just really fall in love with his bad boyness. Um, so yeah, so even though he was horrible, of course, and but it was amusing, the irony of not only him playing that part, but the fact that, that he's the character that, you know, gets her to settle down and see things from a different perspective is just like, okay. It's it's so strange how, how right that is and how wrong, but yeah. wrong, not wrong in the sense that it's incorrect, just wrong in the sense that it's wrong. Uh, but yeah, Shauna uh, falling in love with essentially her brother five years down the road because you could totally see Ferris turning into a like developing a major drug problem. Did you uh, say Shauna? Don- yeah, because he asked her name and she's like, "Well, it's Genie." Oh. <laughs> people call me Shauna. Shauna. Nah, yeah, that that was funny. The music. <laughs> I totally forgot for a second it was Shauna though. I don't know why, but but yeah, that that was amusing. That that's probably my favorite part of the whole movie is the the background doo-wop singing in the background. It's definitely up there for me. I think probably my favorite, my my, my truly f- most favorite moment isn't a moment, but like a sequence. It's it's Cameron's entire breakdown and then leading up to the destruction of the Ferrari, uh, 
that that entire thing I think was was probably my favorite, uh, just because we get to see such a there's this massive turnaround for Cameron where he stops being this doormat for Ferris and he turns into someone who and obviously this is very unlikely to happen in a single day of skipping school, but he turns into this person who's like I've I'm, I've I've had enough I'm done. And I'm going to, you know, be th- this person who I've been trying to be or who I, I probably should have been my entire life. And I'm not going to take your shit anymore, dad. And I think dad is really becomes a euphemism for Ferris because Ferris is, again, wildly manipulative. manipulative. But uh, him having the freak out over the odometer and then realizing that, oh, it's not going to be so bad and I am going to just deal with it. And then, like, the the way that he just kicks the shit out of the front of this Ferrari. Like, yeah. at first you cringe, but then you're like, oh, oh, this kind of feels cathartic a little bit. I, I'm actually digging this. Now I want to <laughs> fucking beat the shit out of a Ferrari. Like, it, it's... The, the entire thing, it was just super well done to me and then his face as it's rolling away from him like he's almost going to chase it uh that that i think uh d- just was a, the cherry on top yeah when when the car shoots out the back of the glaston garage um i think audibly i i just said out loud while watching i just said canada i i, I would just <laughs> what? I, I would just move to Canada if that happened to me. <laughs> like, I would, I, I can, I, if that was like, you know, my stepdad's fancy car, which for him would have been, you know, Camaro or Corvette or something, not a Ferrari, but still, if there was some scenario or some world where that happened and I was in that position, that would not be a moment for me to stand up for myself. That would not be a moment for, that would be runaway panic flight not fight flight i that that i know especially how i was in high school not that i would have done anything any of these things but if i had and that happened with the car canada i'd be gone i is the other side of lake michigan really far enough to to escape well you know i i'm not saying it would have been a good plan but (laughs) i mean just getting over the border to Wisconsin would only take a few minutes. So how much yeah, further can Canada be? Same, same difference. Yeah. I mean, Wisconsin you, is basically Canada anyway. And you know, once you, once you cross the border into Canada, then I guess they just pay for you for everything for the rest of your life. And you know, it's all maple syrup and you know, good. And ma- maple syrup and hockey. Yeah. Hockey, but also, uh, you know, that one popular chain of, coffee oh tim hortons that's it that's Give where i was going home. maple syrup and tim hortons for the rest yeah. of my life for free there you go uh speaking of hockey i just i want to point this out for a second because it it, it it was something that never really came to the front of my mind before watching this time which is cameron wearing a red wings Gordy jersey Howe. and and the, the, the gordy howe jersey and but he he's a, he lives in chicago I mean, we're we're talking about you know mortal enemies here, really. If we're, yeah. we're going Blackhawks versus uh, Red Wings, like that. Oh, I know. No, no, no one says a word about it. It's that's very bizarre to me. You would think, and I'm trying to. I can't remember when they're actually at the Cubs game. Is he still wearing the jersey, or is he switched to just the T-shirt and suspenders at that point? Uh, he might, I'm, I, I'm going to look up photos cause I don't know. Although honestly going to a Cubs game, you're not going to be in as much danger wearing like a Red Wings jersey as if you were to show up wearing, you know, something like from the Cardinals or the White Sox or, you know, something like that, then, you know, you're definitely going to get, you know, it, it's not like, you know, going to a Raiders game or something where you're in danger of your life if you wear the wrong thing. Um, no offense, <laughs> Raiders fans. Uh, <laughs> uh, he is in fact wearing the, uh, the Red Wings sweater at the Cubs game. But yeah, I would think Ferris at least would give him a hard time about it. You would think, but not a word. Yep. Not a word. Yeah. Swing bada. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about a dream casting, but I don't think, I don't think it would be appropriate for this film. 
yeah, I don't really feel inspired to, to Dreamcast uh, this movie for whatever reason. I think for what it is and what it was, it, it's kind of just that perfect moment for us in a time. I, I don't think reworking it, bringing in new characters, reimagining it is something that I, I don't even feel... I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I still don't feel like I'd want to try to improve it because it just it is what it is. And it's pretty complete for what it is. I agree. I, I think that it's, you know, it, every they, they, everything that needed to be right, they got right. And but anything that didn't which, get right, they, they didn't, you know, it's it's excusable. Something that they they also got right or at least touched on in a way that really made me it didn't irk my grits. It just made me kind of nod my head and head and go, yes, this actually, even though it's played for laughs, there's such a truth to this, um, which is not just Ben Stein, but uh, his character plus the other, at least one other teacher. Was there two, two? Okay, so at least one other teacher, but like that whole droning, boring, horribleness of how they presented, you know, economics <laughs> or literature or whatever they were talking about. Anyone? anyone and it's just the idea that this is true this is real there are people who maybe don't have those exact intonations but i had and i'm sure you probably did too and a lot of people have had these you know teachers or professors or whoever they might be who like literally would just speak in a monotone voice or they would sit there with a slideshow clicking through back when slideshows were a thing and then it probably moved to powerpoint now who knows what it is but it's just like (laughs) that idea of like people who either a have no interest or passion or care about what they're teaching or b don't have the ability to display or share it in a way that demonstrates anything that's interesting i mean these are topics that nowadays i find very interesting but it was never built up that way through school because topics like you know economics or history or even literature were handled in like the most boring, uninteresting way possible where I feel that they're inherently interesting. And I'm totally, I could actually, you know, I'm like listening and he's talking about, you know, you know, get into the history of like voodoo economics and stuff. And it's like, no, this is cool. Let's fill in these gaps. I want to, you know, it's like, even though he's so boring, I'm like thinking about it and processing or, you know, like, I just think history in general, I had quite a few horrific teachers who weren't mean or bad. They were just boring and it's like dryly reading from a textbook as opposed to like engaging in conversation and and it's like is that just because they're burnt out because they've dealt with stupid kids who won't participate no matter what they try were they idealistic when they were in their like you know early 20s and then they got burned out of them who knows but yeah i could really sympathize with the the you know falling asleep and you know uh just the glass-eyed zoning out uh that happens and it just made me circle back again and and be like yeah i i don't know there was a time in my life when i thought i was going down the path of being a teacher and once i got into the point where i was doing observation hours like in middle school and and junior high i realized oh my god i hate kids i hate all of them they're horrible (laughs) and that i could do like kindergarten or like college but i couldn't do anywhere in between and that's where i was being propelled so i quickly jumped out of that ship because I couldn't handle the idea of it. Um, so yeah, school is something. School is something. Well, I mean, you know, my background, I I've, I've, you know, I've, I've trained adults to do jobs. Like I've, I've gone Mm -hmm. through theory and various, uh, various jobs and things like that. But I, I agree. I don't think I I have, sorry to interrupt you, but just in case there are people who've been listening for a long time, and wanted to know how you and I first got to know each other. It was oh, yeah. You were training me for a job in a, in a whole big class. And it's funny because I really, I wanted the job and I wanted to keep the job. But my, and you made it very clear the first day of training, you need to complete training. You can't just take any days off or miss days or you're gone kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that first day after I left training, I got in a bad car accident. 
Um, and that's right. I came back the second, I came back the next day, even though like I had like scarring on my head and like, and we told you to leave, didn't we? we yeah. Like, Go home and take care of yourself. You will have a job when you come back. I, I know. And I was like, and I need this job. And I was already there. And like, and so it was just a very <laughs> weird, surreal moment, but it was just like, that was odd, but that, that was how you and I, I first saw- met. I saw greatness in you, John, and I didn't want that to be squandered. Well, so. to, be, to be fair, like my recollection of like the way you kind of led that training class, which I got to say there were what, maybe 15, 20 people in it. Uh, like, yeah, probably 20 or 25, but yeah. Yeah, like a good amount. It's not just some, you know, talking to a few people. And like, uh, I think that you did a perfectly adequate job of not taking up something that was inherently boring and trying to get, you know, people involved and do activities and like actually interact and not just like read something, you know? So it's like, Hey, kudos to you, Anthony. You actually did something right. Thank um, you. That, but no, that like <laughs> actually feels like a heartfelt compliment. So thank yeah, you. It is. It, it really is. And so that, that dear listeners is how uh, he and I first got introduced to each other. I was the weird guy who got banged up in a car accident and stumbled through to his desk anyway, bleeding profusely. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but it was just a weird situation. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I definitely felt for you. That was definitely an extenuating circumstance. So uh, <laughs> one last thing before we go, uh, did you know that this was made into a TV show? I, well, like, I remember, like, the, are you talking, like, way back in the day, or, like, Yeah, this, so, back in, like, the, the, I want to say it was, like, 89 or 1990, they made a Ferris Bueller TV show, uh, which had, like, uh, Jennifer Aniston and a few other, you know, notable, uh, notable actors, uh, I guess, trying to sort of emulate what, or, or, or build on or, or cash in on the momentum of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, I think it only went one or two seasons. It, it was not very widely regarded as good. Yeah, like what's the timeline on the TV, the Ferris Bueller TV show, which couldn't have been on long at all, versus Saved by the Bell, I wonder. <laughs> oh, uh, well, let's see. This went one season, 13 episodes. Uh, Saved by the Bell... went four seasons did it really only go four seasons hmm. uh I guess, oh, well if you don't count like the college years the new class and all that stuff uh yeah a total of 86 episodes but when did it start saved by the bell uh right around the same time i believe 1989 was the first release august of 1989 for saved <laughs> by the bell uh, Ferris Bueller, the TV show, uh, August 23rd, 1990. So a year later. Yeah. That's bizarre to me. Cause I think, um, and were they both NBC? Uh, that's a good question. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> we should da-da-da. call our podcast do doing internet research. <laughs> uh, in association with Paramount television, uh, aired, yeah, aired on NBC. So either A, Saved by the Bell, I don't know how popular it was when it first hit that first season. Either it was so popular that someone's like, you know what? This reminds me of a little bit of Ferris Bueller. Whatever happened with that? Yeah, we tried to do a, a sequel and Matthew Broderick was never into it. So, hey, let's just do a TV series. And they're like, but we kind of already are. It's called Saved by the Bell. No, it's totally going to hit off. We're going to do it at night. It won't be during the day. And like, but it'll be about stuff that happened, you know, during the day. It's cool. Everyone will love it. It's a totally different show. And then it's on <laughs> for like three episodes and it bombs. And they're like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, they, uh, I, I do remember the the first season of Saved by the Bell sort of having a lot of shifting around like they they made a lot of adjustments because nowadays like you you have focus groups for every aspect of your your show and so your pilot when you go and you you have somebody you know it, kind of a behind the scenes thing everybody if you go to like Las Vegas and you're walking through a casino and someone says hey would you like to get paid to uh, or, you know, get, you know, show tickets uh, to come and watch a thing. What they're asking you to do is watch a pilot and then give your opinion on it. 
they didn't really, I don't think that they necessarily had quite the reach that they do today. So they would put stuff out and then make a bunch of adjustments based on that. Like they would recast characters or they would add in other characters or, you know, what have you. So there was a lot of adjustment that had to be made uh, in that first season. And I'm wondering if maybe they like took all of that and said, okay, now let's use that formula and make a Ferris Bueller spinoff. And I don't think it went great. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm tempted to a hundred percent completely judge the TV series that I wasn't aware existed and never seen an episode of, but I'll hold <laughs> off because may, maybe they were trying. No, they weren't trying to do anything good. It was horrible. I know it was, it had to have been, and I agree with the the assessment that it needed to be destroyed in its first season. So. Oh, absolutely. Especially when they go to Ocean Bay High School. Um, I don't even know the, the fake name of the original high school anyway. Uh, well, it certainly wasn't Ocean Bay because there's no ocean that I know of in Chicago. It's called Lake Michigan. God, I can't believe you're so uneducated. You're, you know what? You're right. Maybe, maybe I'm just... Maybe lake, lake and ocean Look, must be the same thing. What are the three requirements for an ocean? One, it's wet. Two, there are waves. Three, Loch Ness Monster lives in it. And Lake Michigan meets all of those. So it's an ocean. Well, you know what? You're from Chicago. Like, I can't I can't flaw that logic. Like, and Forget about me being from Chicago. It's just science, Anthony. Well, but I'm saying you, you're speaking from a place of experience. You're from well, Chicago. True. You know, you, you lived on Lake Michigan. You know these things. I'm, I've been in I'm, Lake I'm Michigan. I'm the uneducated schlub. <laughs> Lake Michigan has been in me. I've, I've choked on it because <laughs> I was tried swimming and it was really cold. So <laughs> that's how we lead up to the 100th episode. <laughs> oh, God. That's our show, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to us each and every week. As we distill another favorite from our past, we have new episodes every Monday, so come and hang out with us on Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Spotify or Google Podcast or any of your favorite uh, podcast apps or at tmdpod.com. We have new episodes there at the same time. Uh, as promised, and as John just alluded to, our 100th episode is coming up next week, uh, and after that we're going to take uh, a week off, but we've been kind of teasing you and saying hey like hey we're, we're going to tell you what it is here's what it is we are going to do an audio commentary for a film that's true I, was, I couldn't remember which button it was so now <laughs> no that I mean that that delayed applause felt really genuine <laughs> <It did. laughs> I'm cutting all of that out uh, so yeah come and hang out with us it's going to be very very cool I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it uh, or it's going to be terrible and it's going to tank but i don't think it'll tank i think we'll we'll do should should we tell them now what that movie's going to be so they can watch or prepare to watch or this is all confusing because yeah i guess i guess they could wait and when we release it well, they'll know what it is and if they wanted to they could watch it side by side with us because i think that's going to be the best way to experience it. we've never done this before but it might be fun if you are able to play it, you know, at that's home true. and then so, play our audio track on through your phone or computer or something that could be fun. So specifically what we're going to do is we're going to do an audio commentary for Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory, the classic, uh, the, the classic version, not the, the newer Johnny Depp version. Uh, so if you don't have it, get it. And then you can watch along with us. And when we say watch along with us, we really mean it this time. Cause we'll tell you when to hit play. And then we're going to be talking while the movie plays. So it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we plan to bring a little bit of trivia. Uh, we're going to probably make some jokes along the way and mm -hmm. talk about that one scene in the tunnel uh, and how it just traumatized us as children. Uh, but yeah, we will uh, we'll be doing that. So exciting, exciting stuff. Uh, John, take us home. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that tunnel scene because to me... It's very much like the kind of music you can hear in an elevator going up the Sears Tower where they play little bits of a band called Semaphore. Um, you may not have realized you were listening to Semaphore because it may have sounded like 
you know, some Muzak with some lady from Ipanema or something. Yeah. And you'd, you'd be totally wrong. And just like when you're watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off and you get excited because you hear that, you know, famous Don Shane song uh, performed kind of uh, by not Wayne Newton <laughs> um, and lip synced by not Ferris Bueller. It was actually Matthew Broderick. Anyway, you all know where I'm going with this. Uh, the music in our podcast is from Destroying the Evidence uh, by Semaphore, and I heartily encourage you to check them out and listen more to them. Uh, they're really awesome. Um, and beyond that, as we're hitting uh, episode 100, we thought it would be really fun if we gave you our email address for the first time, the real one. Um, all the other times we've said it was, no, I'm just kidding. It's the same one, the memory distillery at gmail.com. Um, we want to know, you know, what are, what are some highlights? What, what have you liked so far and what should we change for the next hundred or two, uh, of episodes? Just give us your feedback and your ideas. What have been the worst things Anthony's ever done? And what are the best things that I've done, uh, in that order, uh, is what we want. Um, so follow us on Facebook or, uh, you know, Instagram at TMD pod. Uh, and hey, even our, our website, tmdpod.com, it's got lots of cool stuff there, including, you know, all of our, you know, episodes and, you know, uh, just different hidden golden tickets where you could win tours of chocolate. Oh, wait, no, that's a different thing. Um, <laughs> basically, you, you definitely want to uh, tune in into our, our special episode next week because we have no clue whatsoever if it's going to be any good or not. And we want you to be the guinea pigs. Uh, so on that positive note, I do want to thank you for listening. And I'm sure that you're all going to continue to to love episodes 100 through, you know, 712. I said 712, but it might go further than that. But we're definitely committed to at least 712. Um, yeah. Like, yep. We, we have to now. Well, now we do. So thanks for listening. I am John Deck. And I'm Anthony Verneri. And this has been the Memory Distillery. Donka Shane. Darling Donka Shane. Thank you for Listening dancing to the memory in the rain. Oh, there you go. That's a good one. I've got a dress and I tore that dress. <laughs> <laughs> and I must confess, all my dresses are a mess. In the rest. Dress. <laughs> All right.